certainly be praying for uh, the, the counselors and the campers. Please be praying for me. Please be praying for Steve. We'll both be speaking at, at the camp. And, and in fact, I'm, I'm flying out after, after this service to go do a camp at, at my home church in Ohio. So I, I'd like to ask you if you could please be praying for that as well. Um, and so we're, I'm going to do that. It's actually the exact same thing I did last year, the back-to-back uh, camp thing. And so it's, it's exhausting, but man, what a, worthy, what a worthy endeavor it was last year. And I really am pumped for this year, for both camps. And so, man, I really covet your prayers. And please be praying for me, and please be praying for, for the students there. There's a, from what I hear, it's a, there's going to be some... Some, a lot of lost guests and just a lot of opportunity for God to really stir and really work in people's hearts. It really is crazy when you start hearing people's testimonies through the years. It's shocking how many of them come back to a youth camp. It's something, it, you know, there is, like Corey was saying, there's something about it. And it's not even always just salvation. Sometimes it's just, wow, that was the line I drew in the sand right there that day and I, where I said, I'm going for God and I'm not turning back. And, and, and I'm praying that even for those that are saved, that this will be, that'll be what this camp is for them. So please uh, continue to remember uh, that in your prayers, if you would. Man, we had a, a great service last week. It was a great graduation service where we got to celebrate, and Steve did a great job with that. And so, man, we had a, we had a lot of fun with that. And, uh, man, it was, a great, it was great to hear from Steve last week. And, and, and now this morning, I'm excited to dive back into the book of First Thessalonians we're going to dive back into our verse-by-verse study for, for a few weeks now. We've been talking about this word, therefore, that shows up in chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians. It actually shows up in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And what we've been seeing was happening is, as Paul was saying, therefore, or in other words, because of these truths that I've laid out for you in the previous five verses, here's how these truths should affect your life. And in those previous five verses, we learned about the day of the Lord, and and, and that the day of the Lord is a reference to the second coming and the times surrounding the second coming. And these verses teach us that that the day of the Lord, man, that thing is going to come as a thief in the night. But because we're not in darkness and because we're children of the day and of the light, not of the night and of the darkness, because of that, we understand the times and the seasons, and so that day shouldn't come as a thief in the night to us. It, we live in a spiritual nighttime, but we are children of the day. And as children of the day, we need to act like who we are. That's, what, that's, why, we see this, that, that's why we see that transition with the word therefore in verse 6. Therefore, because of these truths in regards to who we are, we ought to act like it. And to act like it, we, should be, we shouldn't be spiritually asleep. But we, should spirit, we, but we should be watching spiritually. And we shouldn't be spiritually drunk, but we should be spiritually sober. And we should put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of the hope of salvation. And because of that salvation, we saw that whether we live or whether we die, we get the privilege of living together with Jesus. Man, what, a, what an incredible hope that is that we have. But then Paul starts to turn another corner as he writes in chapter 5. And and similar to how he turned the corner with this word, therefore, in verse 6, in verse 11 he turns a corner and he uses the word, wherefore. And what we begin to see is, is that God clears off some space 
to show, to show us, the body, to the body of Christ, <clears throat> how we're to function amongst ourselves and how the body is to operate. At the end of my last message, we talked about the fact that, that we're to comfort and edify one another. That's, that's actually one of the key purposes that God intended when he called us to assemble. Hebrews 10.25, it, it teaches us that to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, especially the later in the night that it gets, it's going to be extra important. And in this verse, the writer of Hebrews shows us that a primary purpose in assembling is to exhort one another. That's one of the primary purposes. Or as our, our passage in 1 Thessalonians says, to comfort or edify one another. And then from there, Paul, he just continues to lay out for us exactly how it is that the body of Christ is to operate. And what we're going to see this morning is, is that we've been given some specific responsibilities to each other so that the body operates and the body functions the way that God designed it to operate and the way that God designed it to function. And so first I want us to see the responsibilities of the church ministers toward the church members. <clears throat> the responsibilities of the church ministers toward the church members. <clears throat> if the church body is, is going to function and operate the way God designed it to, then we need to understand these responsibilities that the church ministers have to the church members. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12 and in 13, the verses that we'll be studying this morning, here's what it says. <clears throat> and we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very, very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. And when you read these verses, you can, you can see that the angle that these verses are coming from is actually from the standpoint of the way the body of Christ is responsible to treat the leadership of the church. And we will get to that this morning. But, but I want you to notice that based on the way that the leadership of the church is described in these verses, it isn't just that we learn how the members of the church are to treat the leadership or the ministers of the church. We get more than just that. We're also able to see some of the responsibilities that the ministers have to the members of the church body. And one of the responsibilities that the leadership or the ministers and pastors of a church have to the rest of the body is letter A, it's to labor. Their responsibility is to labor. Verse 12, it says to, it refers to the ministers in the church as them which labor among you. And so we pick up some insight there. In order for the body of Christ to function properly, Listen, everyone's got to be playing their role the way that God designed it. And God designed the ministers of the church to labor. Now, when you compare Scripture with Scripture and you look at what the ministers of a church are to labor in specifically, there is one thing that it keeps coming back to that pastors have been tasked with laboring in. 1 Thessalonians 2.9, which we studied a couple months ago or so, it says that the pastors, it says that, that Paul, Silas, and Timothy were laboring amongst the Thessalonians, preaching the gospel. And then the end of 1 Timothy 5.17, it references elders or pastors that labor in the word and doctrine. 
And what God is telling us is, is because the pastors of the church have been specifically tasked by God with preaching, they're to labor and study that book. Sure, pastors are to labor and minister in multiple ways outside of what just is done in the pulpit, but there is most certainly a specific labor that should go on by your pastors because preaching is a specific task that has been given to them by God, and therefore, they better labor in the word and doctrine if they're going to be the ones up there flapping their gums. And, and pastors are going to have to if they're going to preach the way that God has called us to preach. Because here's how pastors have been called to preach. This is very important. 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 2. <clears throat> is that 1 Timothy 4 in verse 2? I don't, think, I don't know if it is. Maybe I've got it wrong. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. That's why, that's why it says that. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2. I messed the, sli- I messed the slide up. Preach. <laughs> I really, no, I actually, I, I did kind of, it was, I did con- something very confusing in my notes. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Evidently, I didn't labor hard enough. <laughs> Either that or I was laboring so hard I couldn't see straight anymore. One of the two. Second Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. It is a verse that you guys are very familiar with, but listen to me closely as I read it. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. But the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Listen, there is a specific way that the pastors have been called to preach that God has specifically laid out for us in his word how this thing is supposed to be done. Pastors have been called to preach the word. Their preaching is not simply conveying information from the word. It's not simply using the word. It's not simply about the word. It's conveying the word itself. It has to do with the content of the messages. It's where the points of the messages are coming from, not from the mind of the pastor. The pastor is the waiter. He's not the chef. God's the chef. So just like at a restaurant, the best thing that a waiter can do at a restaurant is to keep his grubby little paws off of the meal that the chef has prepared and bring the meal exactly as the chef prepared it. God doesn't want the pastor to prepare the meal. He wants the pastor to deliver the meal that he prepared without messing it up. And when that meal is delivered, according to verse 2 of 2 Timothy 4, it will taste a whole lot like reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. That's what preaching is supposed to be. So if you've ever sat in here and thought... Man, he's really coming for us today. These are some hard truths to swallow. 
Well, it's not that I actually take joy in that, believe it or not. It's that I have an obligation and a responsibility to preach the word. And according to this verse, if I do that right, it comes out sounding two-thirds negative. Reproving and rebuking coming from a negative standpoint and exhorting from a positive standpoint. So the hope of the pastors of this church is, is that you don't necessarily always leave out of here feeling better about yourself. Because if the message was reproving, then that means it was convicting. And if the message was rebuking, then that means it was confronting. And if that message was exhorting, then it means it was challenging. That's God's design for biblical preaching. We didn't make it up, man. God gave us the blueprint. But you see, you don't hear a whole lot of preaching like the preaching I described because the ones doing the preaching have figured out that verses 3 and 4 of 2 Timothy 4 are true. Most Christians don't have ears to hear the hard truths because according to verse 3 it says, the time will come, and I'm submitting to you this morning that that time is now, that people won't endure sound doctrine anymore but that they'll look for somebody to scratch them where they itch. It says they'll have itching ears in this passage, and they'll turn from truth, and they'll want fables or fiction or stories told. They don't care if it's not true. Just tell me what I want to hear and scratch me where I itch. Don't give me what I need. Give me what I want. That's the time we live in. And, and because preaching the word won't draw the same crowds that scratching people where they itch will. Pastors have in disobedience ditched the preaching of the word, and in the name of pragmatism, they're scratching people where they itch. If it's successful and people are warming the pews, then it must be of God. Listen, God's definition of success is not the same as man's. And there is such a thing as fool's gold. Tons of people in the pews, that looks like gold to man. But it may be worth nothing to God. You see, God hasn't given the leadership of a church the liberty to sit around with their feet propped up on some desk and come up with new ideas as to how we can preach so we can attract more people to it. No, God has already laid out for us how it is that we're to preach, and according to Matthew 16, 18, He will build His church. 1 Corinthians 3, 11, it teaches us that Jesus is the foundation of the church. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22 says Jesus is the head of the church. So Jesus is the foundation of the church, He's the head of the church, and therefore, make no mistake, he will build his church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, put it like this. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planted, planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Listen, y'all, God is the one that gives 
the increase. There are, there are pastors and, and ministers that get obsessed with trying the next new hip thing to increase church growth, and that's not even a responsibility that they were given. Paul is writing and he says, who am I, man, and who is Apollos anyway, other than two guys that planted and watered, but God gave the increase. Now listen, though we weren't given the responsibility to grow the church, we were all given the responsibility to sow and water seed. And that's a responsibility each and every one of us should take extremely seriously. It is the purpose for us being alive on this planet. And so if we're doing that, then yes, we should expect a healthy body to grow at some rate. But the results of the sowing and the results of the watering that's, that's in God's hands. And the pastors are responsible to sow seed and water as well, but they're also responsible to preach the word. And God says, you do what you've been called to do, and I'll give the increase. So when a pastor chooses to ignore the God-ordained method of preaching in the name of doing what works, they're actually violating Scripture to accomplish something that they're not even responsible for. So they violate scripture and disobey their responsibility to preach the word in the name of growing the church, which is a responsibility they were never given. And you say, well, so does that mean we shouldn't use any modern ways to reach people and we should shut down the website and turn off Spotify and not make any creative attempts to reach people? <laughs> no, the Bible clearly teaches that we should do everything to the best of our abilities and everything we possibly can to reach as many people as we possibly can. And we can, we can clearly see from the ministry of Paul that he used strategies to further the gospel and get more people the message. He went to the big cities to get more people. He went to the synagogues to get the best shot to reach people, and when he's witnessing to a Jew, he started with the scriptures because they were familiar with the scriptures, and when he started with a Gentile, he started with creation, and he never checked his brain at the door, and we should do the same exact thing, and I believe that wholeheartedly. We, we've got all these creative ideas to save time, we've got all these creative ideas to make a job easier, we've got all these creative ideas to save money. But we don't use any creative ideas to reach people. I think it's the craziest thing I've ever seen. Our mind, we don't even think, it doesn't even cross our mind, right? But we'll sit there and cut out coupons all day long. Say, we'll, we'll figure out the new creative way to do whatever, right? So no, I don't mean that we shouldn't proactively pursue finding a method that works in order to reach more people. But you see, here's the rub. The modern pastor has taken that to the extreme, because there's a clear line that has been crossed when using strategies to reach people violates clear teaching in Scripture. That, that, that's a big problem. So, for example, if we can utilize the Internet and social media to reach people, and, and we are at liberty to do that by God. If there are ways we can minister to those who have had financial hardships and that opens up a door to minister to their spiritual need too, and we find an outlet for that, then we should do that. I, I have a friend that started a softball league and started a kickball league, and it has been used to get in front of unbelievers and has been extremely fruitful for them. Praise the Lord. If God is using it, I'd encourage that friend to keep doing that. But when the strategy to reach more people 
is for, is for the pastor to start soft-pedaling biblical truths to be more seeker-friendly and to strategically avoid passages in the Bible that are no longer socially acceptable, well, now you're violating clear principles in, in Scripture to, to, to preach the Word and be instant in season and out of season. In other words, preach it when it's popular and you preach it when it's not, but you preach it. And interestingly enough, again, you're violating clear teaching in Scripture to accomplish something you were never called to accomplish, that God said He would do. The way God designed it is, we do what we're responsible to do, which is preach the Word, and all of us sow seed, and all of us water it, and then God does exactly what He's responsible for. We've got to do it God's way, though, y'all. It's, it's all or nothing with this thing. Either the Bible is the truth, and it's the standard for all matters of faith and practice, or we're all just making up junk as we go. And we're all just picking and choosing which verses we're going to live by, and which ones we're not, and which ones we're going to teach, and which ones we're not. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, it says, and if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully? God is saying, if you're going to follow me and receive reward one day for doing so, then you have to play by my rules and strive lawfully. And God has called the pastors and the elders within the body of Christ to labor in word and labor in doctrine so they can accurately and adequately preach the word to the body. Pastors are responsible for that to God and to the members of the church. Something else that we see in these verses that pastors or ministers are responsible for to the church members is they're responsible to oversee. Letter B, to oversee. The passage we're in in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says we're they are ministers or pastors are over you in the Lord is the, is the, way, is the way that it's worded. Pastors are to be an overseer. That's the, that's the word used in Acts 20, 28. It says, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. The pastors were made overseers by the Holy Ghost. And again in this verse we see this responsibility to labor in the word in order to feed the church of God. But God's given pastors a position to look over or oversee or be in charge of what is going on in the church. Here's how Hebrews 13, 17 describes what the role of the pastor or elder looks like. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Listen, it's important that you understand that the leadership of the church will actually give an account for you. You realize that? We won't just go up there and give an account for ourselves. We're going to give an account for you too. That's some insanely heavy stuff. Makes me almost want to run out that back door. Nice knowing you. That's a lot, man. So if we're ever to express concern for something going on in your life, please understand we're responsible for watching for your soul, man. 
Because we're going to give an account for what kind of an overseer that we were to the flock. All right, now, now listen, from, from this point of the message forward, off and on, there will be different parts of this message, and we are going to cover some ground in here, that if I was left to my own devices, I could be your pastor for a decade and we would never cover this. I can almost promise you that. Right, wrong, or indifferent. That's just, that's just the reality of it. But we are preaching verse by verse. And I feel an obligation and a responsibility to teach you the whole counsel of God. And so I have to do that. That's the, man, that's the blessing and the curse of verse by verse, isn't it? Man, it takes you places and you're like, I've seen these two verses coming for a while. And I'm like, what in the world am I going to do with these verses? And so here we are. Uh, but, but man, I do hope you hear my heart as we say that as we move forward, because there are already three words I've said in this verse that I've pretty much cussed in modern society just by reading these words. The, the, the first ten words of this verse has the words obey, rule, and submit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Yes, gag me. And the reason God designed it that way is because of what the rest of the verse says. Again, the pastors of the church are watching for your souls because they're going to give an account to God for you. And God wants the pastors of the church to be able to do that with joy. And he wants them to be able to do that, not, not with grief, but that's not the only reason. The end of the verse says, to not let it happen to the pastors because it's not profitable for you. It isn't just grief for the pastors, it's unprofitable for the flock. There are no winners when God's people don't obey and submit to the rule of the people that God has put into the leadership. And again, I'm very well aware of how against the grain that sounds and how self-serving that sounds. I can assure you there's no hidden agenda. But listen, this is how the church is to operate. This is how the church is to function. And if you don't hear it from the ones who have been called to preach the full counsel of God, then I'm not sure when you'll ever hear it. And God gives us these details in his word as to how the church and his ministers are to function. And so it's important that we know these truths or nothing is going to function properly in here. It's going to be dysfunction because here's how God designed it. God designed it like this, listen, to have a group of men that are his ministers that are surrendered to the rule of Jesus Christ in their lives. And they're accountable to God and accountable to each other and accountable to the church they lead. And God mediates his rule in that church through them. That's how God structured this thing. And the people in turn are to respond to that rule in submission and in obedience. And if I got up here and I said anything other than that and I tried to soft sell that too much... I would be violating God's clear teaching in his word to you. To mess with that is to mess with his word and with the structure that God laid out for his church. Now, here's the thing. There isn't anything on the planet that functions properly without an authority structure. 
right? If you've ever worked a job, you know that. So though by nature all of this goes against the grain, this is not a new concept for anything that functions properly. But within the church structure, one of the things that can make this thing so difficult to stomach is, is so many experiences or stories that people have heard about these ministers that have taken this idea to the extremes. It's the extremes that have gotten this thing so out of whack. There are churches out there that when it comes to teaching this kind of stuff, it turns into this whole weird cultish thing where you darn near have to talk to the pastor before you sell your house or buy a car, right? Trust me, I don't, I don't want to know. I don't really, well, I love you, but I don't care that much. If you want a new car, like, do it. Like, that's cool, man. Praise the Lord. But, it, but then the pastor becomes so untouchable in these systems that if anything he says or does is questioned, don't you dare put your hand to the Lord's anointed like that. Speaking of gag me again, right? And because of those off-the-wall extremes, it can keep us from understanding the truth about the structure that God wants to have in his church. But it's important to understand the rule that the pastors have. This, this makes it clear. The rule that the pastors have is limited to matters of the church. We got way outside of that. Now, we're all accountable to each other in every area of our lives, right? We understand that. But this thing of obeying and submitting in the Bible is not in regards to personal matters. Sure, we can offer counsel, and there may be a time where we express concern about something that we were seeing or about things going on, but that's to be in love. And the motive behind that is because we've been called to watch for your soul as someone who will give an account on your behalf. But certainly not to get permission to buy a car and sell your house, but for matters in the church. And the way God laid this thing out is, is that the elders or the pastors or the bishops or whatever Bible word you want to use to describe that position, God laid this thing out not to be a, a democracy. There, there are overseers that God has put in position to lead the direction of the church and to, and to make decisions about everything from service times to children's ministries to discipleship to worship all the way down to the day of the week that we clean the church, Right? what the pulpit looks like, a million other things. A whole lot of those decisions, though, that are being made in, in some of these regards, these are a whole lot of subjective decisions. And Pastor Jeff, I've been told by a good friend, about half of a pastor's job is making a bunch of subjective calls. There isn't always a clear-cut passage of Scripture that lays out for us exactly what you're to do in this exact specific instance. God gives liberty in places like that. He tells us we should assemble together on the first day of the week. He didn't tell us what time we should meet. He tells us we should worship in him and singing. He didn't tell us whether that should be a worship team, a choir, whether the guys, girl. He didn't tell us how that should shake out. He didn't tell us how many instruments we should use when we worship. He didn't tell us which instruments we should use. Those are all subjective calls that somebody's got to make. But you see, God designed it to work like Proverbs 29.2 describes. This is how he designed it to work. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked beareth rule, the people mourn. And that's certainly the case for nations, but man, that is the case in the church as well. If you're trying to obey and follow God, and you know you need to get plugged into a church, and it's a place that wicked men rule, then that's going to be a place that eventually the people mourn. 
But if righteous men are in authority, that's a place where you rejoice. That's how God designed this thing to work. So, so that's why God lays out in his word the qualifications for someone that's going to hold the pastor or the office of a pastor or an elder or a bishop. That, that, that's why he did that. But what can happen sometimes is, is churches can get so enamored with a guy that has the sauce when they preach that they disregard the character in his life at home. You have guys out there, they leave a church because of immorality and go far enough down the road and get another position right away because they can preach. But when you get the unrighteous in those positions, things are going to go sideways just a matter of time. I don't care how good they preach. Because the way God intended the church to operate is for righteous men to be led by God that are leading and have the authority in the church. But again, the extremes are what gets this thing all out of whack. But, but if it's done right, it looks like 1 Peter 5 and verse 2 says, it, Peter's talking to the elders or pastors, and here's what he says. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. In other words, not because someone twisted your arm, but because you want to. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In other words, it's, it's not for the money. It's not a career. It's a calling. And here's what I want you to see in verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. God's trying to teach us the way he designed this thing to be is the elders or the pastors who have been given the authority and the rule, they aren't to use that authority to lord over the church body or to dominate them that's not god's design listen satan wants to take what god designed to be good and get it out of bounds anytime something that god designed to be good gets taken out of bounds it turns bad really quick but it is god's design not that elders would would lord over god's people but that those given authority and rule would be an ensample <laughs> Being an, 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 an example is closely linked to being an example. We've talked about this word before, but it's this idea of a, of a mold, pouring something into a mold to make an exact image. But, but, they're, but they're not to lord over you, but be examples. That's why our passage in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, ministers that are over you are to labor among you, you see. That's what, that's what our passage says. They labor among you as they are over you in the Lord, not lording over you. They're over you in the Lord, but aren't to lord over you. It's the idea of player-coach, right? And you say, well, okay then, I guess I'll submit to the leadership of the church when the leadership of the church is the perfect ensample that they've been called to be. Or I, and I agree with all the decisions that they make. But listen, y'all, God hasn't designed any sort of authority that that logic works with, right? Wives are to submit to their own husbands, even when their husbands are falling short, which I'm sure none of the husbands in this room ever have. But even when they are, wives have been called to submit to their own husbands, even when they, don't, even when they disagree with what the husband has chosen to do. Children are to submit to the authority of their parents even when their parents aren't perfect and they disagree with their decisions. And that's God's design for authority in the church as well. 
The elders of the church are responsible to, to lead and to oversee and, 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 to, and to rule the way that God has called them to, and the church members are called to submit to that. Another responsibility that's been given by God to the ministers of the church, towards the members of the church, is, is there to, letter C, to admonish, to admonish them. That's what, the, that's what the verse 12 says. It says, they admonish you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12. That's, that's, that's what it says. They caution you. They, they warn you. And, and, and listen, we're not going to hang here long because this, this overlaps with the last two points we covered. But pastors have the responsibility to admonish, caution, or warn the body of Christ because they're going to give an account for them on their behalf. And, and their preaching has been designed by God to be reproving and rebuking and exhorting, which means it's convicting and confronting and challenging. And all of that goes hand in hand with admonishing. But that's, that's some of what we can glean from verse 12 of 1 Thessalonians 5 about the responsibilities that the ministers of the church have to the members of the church. But listen, we also glean some truths in these verses about the responsibilities of the members of the church to the ministers of the church. The, the responsibilities of the members of the church to the ministers of the church. I meant for that to say the responsibilities of the church members to the church ministers so that it was consistent with the first point, but that didn't happen. So if it drives you as crazy as it does me, you can fix that. The body of Christ, but you get the point either way. It all says the same thing. The body of Christ is called to conduct themselves in certain ways towards the pastors or the elders of the church. And we've seen some of that already, but we're going to get into more, more detail on that now. And the first responsibility that the members of the church have to the leadership of the church that we see in these verses is that they're to know them. They're to, they're to letter A, they're to know them. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, To know them which labor among you. You know, there, there are times where maybe there's a problem or maybe there's an issue or maybe there's a decision that's been made in regards to the direction of the church and, and maybe it doesn't sit well with someone. And, 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 and though, of course, you can never please everybody, sometimes a decision is made that would make a lot more sense if they knew the one or understood the one that was making the decision. You're, you're to know them which labor among you. So when I was a, so when I was a teenager, you know, this, this didn't happen often, but every once in a while, my parents would make a decision, and I would not have made that exact decision if I were choosing, <laughs> right? The buck stopped with me on that one. I would have done something different on that. But, you know, whether it be how far I was allowed to ride my bike or how long I could be out or, you know, whatever, right? We would all have done some different things. Now, being older in hindsight, of course, I completely agree with everything that they were doing. But in the moment, uh, you know, I, did, I wouldn't have agreed. And that's the same with every teenager that's ever lived. But here's one thing that I have always understood. I understood that whatever, parent, whatever decisions that my parents made, even if I didn't love it in the moment, I understood they were always making whatever decision that they made because they loved me, they were looking out for me, and they were responsible before God to answer for what they did with me. So even as a teenager who wasn't always seen clearly, no offense, teenagers, 
I'm sure you guys see perfectly clear. It was just me. But even as a teenager who wasn't always seeing clearly, I didn't cause my parents problems because regardless of what I wanted to do, I knew them and I understood them. And so I knew and understood that they were doing what they were doing, why they were doing what they were doing, even if I didn't like exactly what they were doing. Knowing someone and understanding them goes a, a really long way when it comes to decision making. And God says, that's the way it should be in the church. Know them which labor among you. Another responsibility that the church members have to the church ministers is to, to esteem them very highly, letter B, to esteem them very highly. Verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 5 says exactly that. And to esteem them very highly, very highly in love for their work's sake. So, so God says that you're to esteem the pastors and ministers of the church. You're to esteem or hold them in high regard and respect them for the nature of their work and their position. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, it, it goes as far to say, it says to let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. This verse is talking about honor and respect. This verse is talking about finances. But the Bible teaches that the ministers are to be esteemed highly. And that they're worthy of double honor if they rule well, especially if they labor in word and in doctrine. The next verse of this chapter goes on to say that you even deal with accusations against them differently than you do others. Have you ever seen this? 1 Timothy 5.19 says, Against an elder receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. So if an elder is accused of something... You don't pay it any attention if you, and you don't believe the rumors unless two or more witnesses testify and they have to confront the elder as they testify. Now, if the elder is found to be in the wrong and the indiscretion is worthy, the Bible says to bring the elder up and call it out in front of the church. So there's more extremes there as well. But accusations are actually to be treated differently. And it isn't that God is a respecter of persons because we know he isn't. But if there are ministers being used of the Lord somewhere, then you better believe that there's a target on their back, and that target is a little bit bigger than your average target. And if any old accusation from any old witness can take them down, then how easy would it be to take that darn near whole ministry down? Don't we know that Satan brings into the church wolves in sheep's clothing and that Satan is the father of lies? What's to stop from someone making accusations from the shepherds of the flock? That ministry would hopefully survive, but man, it would be a devastating blow. You're to handle those situations different because of the unique position that they have and to esteem them highly because of that position. Another responsibility that the members of the church have to the ministers of the church is letter C, to love them. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, it says to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Yeah, you're to esteem them and respect them, but you're to love them. And, and this group understands that as believers in Jesus Christ, man, we've been, we've been called to, to love people in general. So we, we knew this would be the case with the ministers of the church. But it's almost as if God is just 
taking a second to, to remind everyone to be sure to show them love because they're eventually going to fail you. We'll all fail you at some point or another, but 1 Peter 4 8 teaches us that love covers a multitude of sins. In the ministers of the church, we will always fall short, and so we're going to need that. And if you hold grudges against them, it's going to keep you from hearing the word of God from them that he's called them to preach to you. And if you leave every time they fall short, well, you'll be bouncing around from church to church till the cows come home. Because stick around long enough anywhere, and you're going to get let down by a minister somewhere along the way. So be sure to love them, because, man, though there are, aren't very many pastors that show it, being a pastor can be a very lonely place. They don't know who they can trust. And everything they say can and will be held against them in a court of law. <laughs> the Barna Group conducted a, a study last year that found 38% of pastors had considered quitting in the last year. Percentage-wise, there actually aren't that many that ultimately end up quitting, but it's a sad stat that there are that many unhappy, scarred, or burnt out that they're considering quitting completely. So remember to love your ministers. And, and, and listen, again, I see how this message seems extremely self-serving. If you're a guest with us this morning, I'm sorry. The, <laughs> again, if I had my choice, we would never stumble upon these verses. Probably the rapture would happen first. But when you read the, these next, those verses that we're studying, I'm not sure what choice I had. What was I supposed to do? My, my knee-jerk reaction was, was to at least find a way to make quick work of these verses. How quick can I get through these two verses? Like, it, but, my, but at the same time, man, if we're going to sit here and act like we preach the full counsel of God and say we don't skip politically incorrect passages around here and we take the verses as they come, so whatever it's saying, we just say it by comparing Scripture with Scripture. We're going to do those things that I talked about earlier, like being the waiter that's bringing out the food to the flock, then I don't think I was left with any choice but to tell you these truths this morning. In fact, I'd be in opposition to half of what I preached this morning had I avoided these passages this morning. I'm not sure where else you're going to hear them if you don't hear it from here, but, they, but that's the reason we covered the ground that we did. No, no hidden agenda. It's just what the next verses say. But, but listen, the ministers of the church, they have responsibilities to you, and, and you have responsibilities to them. And when the body of Christ doesn't function the way that God designed it to function, then everything gets out of whack and we can't do together what we've been called to do. It's like when our physical bodies don't function right. When our physical bodies don't function the way that God designed them to function, then everything gets out of whack and the body can't do what it was designed to do. We get sick or we get sidelined because our body isn't functioning properly and we can't accomplish what God called us to. Listen, it's important that this body functions the way the inventor of this body designed it to function. Father, we love you and we thank you for a group of people that has the ears to hear these truths in a, in a day and time when they are not palatable at all. And I pray, God, that you would have been honored 
through these truths. My desire this morning is to be true to your word regardless of where it takes me. And I pray that that would always be the case for anybody who's standing up here, God. May we follow you. May we follow follow your truths wherever it takes us, God. No matter what society says, no matter what is going on in the world, one thing, the truth is the truth, God, and we are out here seeking the truth. Let's get to the bottom of whatever the truth is, wherever that leads us, the, whether that leads us to places we deem to be good, ugly, places we're comfortable with, places that we're not. God, I pray that the ministers in this church would live up to the responsibilities they have to the members of this church, God, and that we would always be faithful to that book that you entrusted us with to labor in, And I pray, God, that we would always bring the food to the table just the way that you prepared it, God, and we could keep our hands off of it. God, I pray that the that the that the flock, that the members of this church, God, that they would hold up to their responsibilities to the ministers as well, and they would understand those truths, they would understand the heart behind those truths, and that this would be a local body that functions exactly the way you, God, the designer of this body, intended it and designed it to function. I pray, God, that that would be the case in this place to further your name and to further your message to the rest of the world. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song.